Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are focusing on the sixth parak of Shmuel Bet, which continues to build on the success of the last parak. We learned that David conquered Yerushalayim. He establishes himself and his family in Yerushalayim. And now David works to bring the Aron of Hashem, the Ark, to Yerushalayim, so that the city will not only be the political capital of the land, but the spiritual capital as well. However, this process proves to be more fraught than David initially imagined. David gathers a huge procession to escort the Aron from Kiryat Ye'arim to Yerushalayim. It's in the house of Avinadav, where it has been since the Plishtim returned it after they had captured it in the narrative that is described in the early part of the Sefer. David goes there with this massive procession. The Aron is loaded onto a wagon. It's pulled by oxen and it is driven by and tended to by Avinadav's descendants, Uzzah and Achiel. As the wagon makes its way to Yerushalayim, David and all those gathered are playing all sorts of instruments and it's this very joyful parade and procession. It's this great moment until tragedy strikes. Uzzah sees that the Aron is tipping over as the wagon is driving over uh, unsteady terrain, and Uzzah puts his hand on the Aron to try to shore it up, to try to protect it and prevent it from falling. However, putting one's hand on the Aron is strictly forbidden. You can hold it by the poles to carry it, but you can't touch the Aron itself. And Hashem immediately kills Uzzah. And this turn of events deeply disturbs David, who clearly understands that this is more than just a response to some careless mistake made by Uzzah, but rather part of a broader issue, some more fundamental mistake being made in this whole procession. And that's why David puts the whole procession to an end and leaves the Aron in the house of Obed Edom for three months until again David tries to bring the Aron to Yushalayim. So how do we understand exactly what went wrong in this first attempt? It seems suitably grand and joyous. So it it seemed to have been befitting of God and the sanctity of the ark. What what, what was the kind of major issue? What was off base about this first attempt to bring the Aron to Yushalayim? And I think the best way to discern that is by looking at the second and ultimately successful attempt of bringing the Aron to Yushalayim and seeing how it differs from the first we are told, that when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, this is now the second attempt, when they had walked six paces, then David would offer the sacrifices of an ox and a fatling. So, firstly, we are struck by the fact that it's being transported in a very different way. It's not on a, it's not on a, uh, on a wagon. It's being carried by the Nosei Aron Hashem. And who are the Nosei Aron Hashem? Those are the Leviim. So last time it was being transported on a wagon and being tended to by Kohanim. This time it's being transported by hand, using the, the, the correct poles, of course, not touching the Aron itself. And it's being carried by the Leviim. This is, of course, much more in accordance with what the Torah prescribes. The Leviim are the ones who are supposed to be carrying the Ark. And so by making this correction, perhaps this was the, the, uh, a mistake that was made. Perhaps this was the fundamental mistake that was made last time. After all, by Uzzah touching the Ark, it is, uh, 
uh, a reflection of the fact that, firstly, uh, he's a, he's a kohen, so a kohen he shouldn't be tending to the to the ark altogether. This, should, this is the work of Levium, and the fact that the ark was going to fall was a an outgrowth of the fact that it was on a wagon. So Uzzah touching it was really the uh, direct outgrowth of these two mistakes that it was Levium and it was on the on the wagon. So maybe we could say that there was this kind of technical mistake that was made in the way that the Aron was being transported, and that's what gets corrected here. But I think that while those things are true, I think that we could, we could go much deeper here. Because in the second attempt, there are, there are more differences. And, and what we find is that we don't have all the merriment, we don't have all of the people, throngs of people playing all sorts of different instruments. The sense that there's this huge party is no longer there as well. Instead, what we have is a much more serious procession. The Levium walk just six steps and stop, and then David immediately offers sacrifices to Hashem. We find that David is dancing uh, in front of the Aron, wearing linen, a linen aphod, priestly garments, and we find that David and the people are blowing trumpets and, and shofarot. And the whole procession just has a much more serious air, a much more serious feeling to it. And it's not to say that the first one was completely frivolous, but there seems to have been maybe an overly casual attitude, an overly uh, joyous uh, sense uh, of, uh, of returning the Aro now or bringing the Aro to Yerushalayim. It could have been that the, the whole feeling of the first procession was just, was just too casual. And that is what is expressing itself in Uzzah touching the Aron. It reflects a lack, a certain lack of seriousness and a certain lack of reverence. And this time it's corrected. It's being carried. So there's much more of a sense of toiling. There are karbanos being given. We don't have all these instruments, but we have the, the shofar and we have the, the trumpets, which are a, a very different type of sound and, a ver- and, and have all sorts of halachic dimensions to them that the harp and the lyre do not have. So they, they, it's just a very different feeling altogether. And David um, subjugating himself, uh, humbling himself in front of the Aron also is consistent with this second type of experience, this second type of procession. And so we're seeing a very fundamentally uh, different attempt here. It's not just Uzzah touched the, the Aron, and that happens in a vacuum. No, there are two very different ways of thinking about how to bring the Aron, what type of, uh, what type of environment is the appropriate one for this moment. And the second environment is obviously the one that is more pleasing and appropriate and ultimately accepted by Hashem. The Aron then makes its way to Yerushalayim. David, acting in this kind of pseudo-Kohanic role, blesses the people, and then he also gives everyone uh, bread and cake to celebrate this great accomplishment. And then David goes home to bless his family, but he is intercepted by his wife, Michal. Michal is not just his wife, but is the princess of the house of Shaul, and she saw through the window David dancing in front of the Aron. And he was doing so with absolute abandon. And so she comes out and she, she approaches David and confronts him. She castigates him for the way that he debased himself in the presence of the people, dancing like a commoner in front of all of the rest of B'nai Israel, which offended her very royal sensibilities. And David doesn't mince words with her. He says, I was dancing before God. And that's God who chose me over your father's house. And you know what? I would do it again. He expresses no remorse. 
and he thoroughly dismisses Michal in this exchange. And this is such an important moment because if you're a David skeptic, if you want to read David as always acting out of political interests, you could say that David wanted the Aron and Yushalayim because it solidifies his own kingship. People will make pilgrimages to Yerushalayim. That brings wealth to Yerushalayim. It brings attention and kavod to Yerushalayim. And so maybe this is really all about David, which would ultimately be a great dishonor to the Aron and to Hashem. But David clearly dispels that here. David demonstrates that this is all about the glory of God and that his dancing in this way before Hashem directs the honor where it truly belongs away from the king and towards Hashem. This is the, the, the absolute essence of what a king ought to be doing at all times. He says that the true honor, his true honor, will be that people will respect him for honoring Hashem. And we're told that in the final Pasuk, um, in, in this Perak, we're told that Michal will go on to uh, live her whole life without having children, which is in the immediate kind of literary sense meant to affirm that David was correct in this exchange. But of course, taking a step back, this is quite tragic. And it's tragic on two levels. It's tragic on a personal level for Michal, but also on a national level. Because had she bore a child for David, that child would have been the heir to the throne and had been the kind of ultimate merger between Malchus based David and Malchus Shaul. A merger between the tribes of Yehuda and Binyamin, a merger of the tribes of the, of the Imahos of Rachel and Leah. It would have been a real symbol of national unity and healing, the coming together of these two uh, dynasties. Unfortunately, with this last conflict between David and Michal as this kind of proxy for all of Shaul, it's a clash of these two worldviews, and it seems to close the door to that possibility of this truly ideal outcome and this truly ideal heir. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.